Hi, welcome to Infinite Leaders Live. I'm Lewis Keynes and our why, the purpose for what we do is simple, to be better educators and to be better humans. We want to support and encourage infinite learning for everybody regardless of role, rank or responsibility to be listened and learning to other people and be able to share what they've learned. I'm joined by my pal Alan and we've got a cracker today, Al. Yeah, thanks Lewis. Really looking forward to this one. We're going to dive deeper into understanding how leaders with an infinite mindset translate this across to their teams. We want to focus on the things you don't get taught at university or on any courses, real life lessons from real life people with real life experience. And as ever, we're learning as we go. We love the feedback we're receiving, whether positive or with areas we can develop. We live and breathe what we're saying. We want to be better. So please get in touch and let us know how we can be. You can find us on Twitter, theinfinitelearners.com, IGTV, YouTube, and on all podcast platforms as well. So listen, learn and share with your colleagues and friends. And Alan, let's introduce today's guest. Yeah, thanks again. Get your pens and papers ready. There's going to be some absolute gems of wisdom today. Jake Humphrey is an experienced and knowledgeable television and radio broadcaster. He's currently the face of Premier League football on BT. And having been at the forefront of much of BBC Sports coverage for many national and international events. Jake also co-hosts the High Performance Podcast alongside David Hughes and we're, we're massive fans of that on this show. Jake, we're delighted to have you you've joined us on our humble little show You've come from Formula One via the Premier League to Formula None. <laughs> Tell us a little bit about your journey, please, Jake. Never, never Formula None. Uh, <laughs> first of all, Alan Lewis, it's, it's nice, to, nice to talk to you. I really like the introduction, actually, because I think that looking at things from a slightly different angle is one of the biggest things I've learned in my life. And from what I've heard you say so far, that's exactly what this podcast does. You know, I think you're just, you're taking what is relatively common now, which is people just chatting to others on a podcast format, but you're just, you're just sort of turning the dial up a little bit, which, which I think is really nice. And I think it's the perfect one for me, this, because I am of the belief that learning is a lifelong process. You don't get to the age of 16, leave school, and you've learned everything. In fact, I probably think that you get to the age of 16, leave school, and the true learning is probably still ahead of you. You know, I think school is about creating that foundation, creating that building block, and then it's really up to you to make use of it. Um, and I actually, I come from a, I come from a kind of a teaching family, which is why it was massively embarrassing for my mum when at the age of what, 17, 18, I failed my A-levels with an E, an N and a U. And I remember not even knowing what an N was at the time. And I went to the teacher and I have to say, look, I've got an N for one of my A-levels on the bit of paper. Like, what even is that? And her answer was, that doesn't mean you're, um, it doesn't mean that you're clever enough to get an E, but you're not so thick. You've got a U. <laughs> And the next result I opened was a U. So I was known as the Enu boy for a bit and I went back to school. And I always had, but I'll be totally honest with you two as teachers, that I had a very sort of difficult relationship with school, really. I didn't understand it. I didn't relate to it. I didn't blossom. I didn't thrive. I didn't prosper. I wasn't really myself. I got badly bullied for quite a long time and ended up changing schools because of that. And I don't know whether that kind of knocked me a little bit, but I think that, I think the bottom line was that I was a bit of a late developer. So when I was 14, 15, 16, and other people were just starting to really motor and realize what they were about, what life was about, how they were going to get the most out of it, I probably still had the kind of mindset of an 11, 12, 13-year-old, like literally floating through. You know, I wasn't badly behaved, but I didn't excel. I wasn't on any of the sports teams. I didn't do any of the drama or anything like that. And people often assume with the job that I do now, I must have been a, either a 
you know, great in the sports department at school or great in the drama department. Um, but there was none of that. I, I reckon if I hadn't ended up on the television, most of my teachers would probably have forgotten about me. Um, but the one thing that I did have then and that I've always had and that I think is probably my kind of superpower really is, is just an empathy. And I remember one of my teachers, Mr. Pugh, saying to my parents, I think Jacob, as I was known then, I think Jacob struggles a bit because he's just a bit more empathetic than most 12, 13, 14 year old boys. He's too plugged into emotions and how certain things make people feel. But now with the job that I do and the life that I lead, I think, I think the single best thing is the ability to plug into people's emotions because I think that's all that I do. That's all my job is. And that's why I love doing live events, particularly doing live sport. You know, I, I, like a lot of people that do my job, I get my fair share of social media criticism. And the number one bit, of, well, there's two main bits of criticism. The first one is that I'm smug. I think people just assume if you do my job, you must be smug because it's such a bloody brilliant job. Yeah, I was about to say, I think we'd be pretty smug if we did a job like that. <laughs> <laughs> and I think, and I sort of also understand it because I think, you know, my job is to look confident on the television. My job is to seem like I'm at ease with players that have won Champions Leagues and Premier Leagues and World Cups and things. You know, I have to, I have to try and create that to get the best out of them. And I think it's easy to look at it and go, oh my God, who's this guy from Norwich? I think he is chatting to Paul Scholes like he's his best mate. And that leads to the kind of smug accusations, I think. And then the other accusation I get a fair bit is that I know nothing about football. And I try and explain that my job is not to know about football. Five or 10% of my job, I think, is knowing about football. The rest of it is plugging into the emotion of the game, the emotion of the players, of the managers, but particularly of the pundits, to really try and just tug on a few little strings to get the very best out of them. And that's why now, with two kids of my own age, seven and four, when I go for parents' evenings and they want to tell us whether Florence is above average, below average, or where expected for her reading and writing and everything else, I just say to the teacher, listen, that's great, and please tell my wife, because my wife comes from an academia background. Both her parents are teachers. Her sister and brother are all teachers. I say, look, you can speak to my wife about that. All I want to know is my daughter the first person to pick up a crying kid in the playground? Is my son the one to put his arm around another kid when they're having a hard day. Can, you, can my children relate to you? Do they have that charm, that ability to talk to you? I think that is the single biggest superpower you can have in this life is to plug into other people's emotions. And I think if we did it more, I think generally the world would be a, a happier and a kinder place because it's amazing how often people do things that purely lead to sadness for others. I can't, I can't disagree with that. And it's so motivating to hear some of the things you talked about there in terms of you know, maybe things not going your way and showing some resilience to have the confidence in your own empathy that that, that would someday get you somewhere and, and help you to achieve success. How important is empathy to be something to be taught in schools and for something for children to learn in schools? Yeah, I just think that, I, I think teachers are incredible. You know, I've just been through homeschooling for the last few weeks with my kids. And so I, like, I'm one of those people that says, right, pay every teacher a million pounds a year because <laughs> But I don't think that enough emphasis from the very top is put on to life skills for young people. Even now, you know, I don't think that, you know, I, I want people to be doing mentorship programs all the time. I think it should be part of the national curriculum that they go out and do um, like a citizen service. And every child has to show to their teacher or to their school the five hours of 
social understanding they've done that week. And when I say social understanding, I'm talking about going visiting a lonely old person, going and helping tidy up a children's playground, going and scrubbing graffiti off somewhere. Yeah. That sort of real understanding of, of other human beings, that is definitely, definitely something that we can do to, to build our young people into being better people because the years are so formative. And I know that teachers will absolutely do their best to try and create rounded individuals amongst all the other challenges you have as teachers. And growing up as the son of a teacher, I saw it all the time. You know, you've got to fulfill the, the sort of quota and the criteria from the school and the national curriculum and everything else. But you're also trying to create rounded individuals. It's so difficult, but my goodness, it's so important. You know, I don't, I didn't look at what was going on for me at the time. And we're talking about um, having to leave school because I was bullied or um, my grandma committed suicide when I was about 15. And that was totally unexpected. She was the most wonderful grandma, as you would expect every grandma to be. So that is a kind of um, a, a difficult moment for a teenager and then failing my A-levels as well. And whether it's kind of like cracking on once you've had a, a devastating death in the family or whether it is putting your backpack on taking a deep breath seeing your mum's car disappear off around the corner and walking into school knowing full well you don't have a friend in that school and you're going to have a day of being bullied this is when i was in about year seven year eight um or whether it's failing your a-levels and going back and walking into a classroom with the kids who are a year younger than you and you know what it's like guys in a school you don't talk to the kids a year below that you see them as little kids you wouldn't possibly dare hang out with them and there I am embarrassingly sitting at the back of the class. There's two ways to look at all those. And it's either setbacks and negative moments in your life, or it's the periods in my life that built resilience. And I now look at them absolutely as periods that built resilience. And along with empathy, resilience is probably the single greatest skill we can give our young people, I think. How did you deal with them at the time, Jake? Because you, you talked through chronologically there from year seven and yeah. eight being bullied into a death at the family know 15 16 and then into failing your a-levels you know that's a lot for a child to get through um how did you do it how yeah. did you come out the other end i think that that was where um the sort of emotional intelligence that i had was useful you know i don't have a particular intelligence intelligence you know i never i never did excel at school but it's um, it's a really good question lewis and it's hard for me to sort of formulate the answer because i sort of i sort of just carried on which i guess in many ways is what resilience is isn't it you know, I think that it's such an important conversation, this one about resilience, because there will be young people who are in your care and at some point they will decide what they want to do with their life and off they'll go. And if they haven't been taught the importance of resilience, they'll start their journey to whatever dream they've always had and then things will go wrong, right? And the problem is, I think, we're creating a lot of young people that when something goes wrong, they go, ah, oh, bloody hell, something's gone wrong. This wasn't the right path for me after all. I'm going to have to go and do something else. But that's totally the wrong mindset. You need to expect failure. You need to expect bumps in the road. Because not only if you, if you expect them, not only does it equip you better to deal with them, but also it actually makes you realize that you're probably on the right track. Because you need to almost get yourself into a point where failure is inevitable. Like, if you're not at that point where failure, that sort of perfect window where you're almost certain to fail, then you're not going to find your limits. And I think that we've, we've created this situation where we're scared of failure. But actually, if you fail early, that's fine because you find another path. If you fail often, that's brilliant because it means that you're constantly pushing yourself. And if you fail forwards, that's also exceptional because you're learning from the failure. So fail early, fail often, fail forwards, but like keep on failing. And 
as a parent and as a dad, like, I have to keep letting, like, I have to remind myself to let my kids fail. Where, as a, as a, as a father, Jake, where do you draw that line? Because what you talked about there is, is, was a really good synopsis of, of resilience. And, you know, Angela Duckworth's book, Grit, talks about there's yeah. resilience, but then there's trying your best to pick that point where you think this isn't for me anymore. And sometimes that's the right thing, right? So as to be able to say, well, this isn't for me. I've tried, I've failed, but I'm not quitting because I failed. I'm quitting because it's not the right path. Yeah. And it's so difficult, isn't it? Because, you know, what's trendy these days is all of these social media accounts that have all these great quotes. And you can go onto one Instagram account and it says um, something like that. And you go, all right, winners never quit. So I mustn't ever quit. And then you come and listen to this and I'm saying, oh, failing's really good. And then you're like, oh, hold on a minute. So I can fail, but I can't quit. But sometimes quitting is the strongest and most powerful thing you can do. So What's the answer? What's the answer? And I think that from my perspective, the answer, God, you know what I mean now, Alan? It's hard, isn't it? You've got yeah. all this information coming in from different angles. Jake, I fully agree. I've, I've got twins at 11. And what I really like, your analogy you used in, in one of your high-performance podcasts is roots and wings mm. with your children. Just, can you just tell us, audience, a little bit more about that, that analogy? Yeah, 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 yeah. So roots and wings is something that my parents... Uh, spoke about when I was younger and I think actually I can't not give them the credit when you when you asked me earlier Lewis about what was it that I did to get through those difficult times in my childhood um, and by the way you know this isn't a sort of woe is me story being bullied failing exams losing a lo loved one this is very common right but let's not pretend just because it's common it doesn't hurt and it did hurt um, roots and wings are the things that my parents spoke about an awful lot and I would urge any parents or indeed any teachers, anyone in a position of power over young people to really consider those, those, three, those three words, roots and wings. And the wings is really important because the wings is about giving people the confidence to go off, take on the world, do whatever they want to do, whether that is as painful as it may be as a parent saying to your kids, you want to go live in Australia on the other side of the world, go and do it, live your dreams, whether it's, you want to take a huge loan from the bank at 19 years of age and set up your own business? Wow, okay, off you go. Give them the wings to do it. You, you don't want to do A-levels? As a parent, I'm certain it's the right thing when you finish your GCSEs, but I've given you wings, and if you're going to use your wings, off you go. The wings are really important, but at the same time, they have to be wings with roots. And the message is so clear to my children, and it is, you can do whatever you want. The world is your oyster. There are simply no boundaries. There are no barriers. Look at all the amazing people doing amazing things. Like we have these books at home called um, something like Little Big, Big Dreams, Little Women or something like that. And it's these wonderful children's books that we read to Florence. And it's about people that have done amazing things like Coco Chanel or Muhammad Ali or Aretha Franklin. And Florence often says to me, Daddy, one day will I be in one of those books? Will I be in one of those books about people that have done amazing things? Like Marie Curie, her favourite. She loves to read the story of Marie Curie. And, and I say, absolutely, Florence, if you want to be in one of those books and you really apply yourself, darling, and you have all those dreams, you can. But you know what? If it doesn't work out, it doesn't matter. And me and mummy will always be here, will always be at home. And that's the roots element. And it's so important to let them know that they can push themselves to the limit. And the one place they will always be loved and the one place they won't be judged is at home. And you know that 
beautiful song, I Will Leave a Light On. I will leave a light on. You know the one? Yeah. Um, I'm not a very good singer, obviously. But that's, <laughs> a song, that's a song that we often, uh, that we will often play to the kids. And the message on that one is clear, like whatever you do, wherever you go, however the journey takes you, we will leave a light on. And if at any time you want to look for the light, come home, we'll be there and you will not be judged and you will be loved. Yeah, that's, and that's, that's super powerful. Yeah, that, that is super powerful. There's always a place to go back to. There's always a support system there. And that non-judgmental part must be tough, must be tough. But for anybody in any kind of role, any kind of job, even more so a parent, I imagine. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's, it's so difficult. You know, I think being a parent is the hardest job in the world, isn't it? And it's, um, it's always difficult. Well, I speak to sort of friends of mine who are a lot younger that are toying with the idea of having kids and things. And I just say, I always say to them, listen, it will be the hardest, but the greatest thing you've ever done. You know, the lows are lower than you can ever imagine, but the highs are, are greater than you can ever believe. I'm trying, I'm badgering my wife now to go for number three. And she, she's like, oh, oh, really? And I'm like, yeah, but look, look at the joy that our children bring us, man. Why wouldn't you want that again? But I'd, I'd have about 15 if I could, but. That's not going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> it's um, your positive mindset. You, you, your posts on Twitter are, are really positive. Is that, is that a massive conscious effort as a result of your background? Um, I think it probably is. I think it's something that I've, I've definitely learned in the last few years. So I, I was, as I say, pretty normal doing my GCSEs, doing my A-levels. Even when I started out in television, I think, I kind of... I don't remember creating that really super positive mindset when I first started out in TV, although I did have a, an absolute single-minded determination when I started being a TV presenter. Like I wasn't just going to settle for being a, another TV presenter. I was going to be the best there was. And I wasn't taught this by anyone, but I used to just record program after program and watch it back and practice. And I don't know. I find it very hard to answer the question, which I've been asked a lot. Where did that come from? That sort of desire to be the best. I don't know probably from the roots and wings, there was definitely something in my upbringing. It's probably a combination of all those little factors of the resilience and the failures and the roots and wings and, and the, the difficult times. That, 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 and also the understanding, I think, when I first started in, in television, I sort of suddenly understood, which I didn't at school, the amount of effort I put in, I could directly see the correlation. Whereas at school, the more effort I put in, I normally got the same number of ticks on the page. And it was like, well, why am I going to bother then keep on going to the absolute limits for this? Because, you know, particularly when you're in year eight, nine, 10, and might be different now with exams more often, but for me, it was always building up to GCSEs in year 11. Um, but they're asking me to make loads of effort in year eight and nine. And I, I did struggle with that. Whereas in the world of work, I can see make an effort today, get the rewards tomorrow. So that, that sort of worked out really well. Um, so I, I obviously got, got, got my job and I started sort of, pushing on and, and, and creating that, that constant sort of pushing mentality. Um, but the positivity really came from what, believing there was a secret, right, to these successful people. So I'm working in children's television and um, I really wanted to work in sport. So I went and had a meeting with BBC Sport and they were pretty clear that I wasn't the kind of person that they employed because I hadn't done a degree, I wasn't an ex-professional sports person. But again, this experience of resilience led to me finding another route. So I spoke to the, the head of football at the time and I said, look, just give me a chance. I, I am 
I'm, I remember saying actually, which comes back to what we spoke about earlier, really regarding empathy and things. I said to him, I, you know, I'm not an ex sports person. I, I I haven't done a degree in journalism, but I've got empathy. I, I like I'm a sort of visceral presenter. I, I feel it from the heart. And if I'm watching live sport, I love it and I, and I thrive on it. And I think I'm good at explaining that to the audience. So can you give me a chance? And thankfully did. And then that's how I ended up working in, working in Formula One. But while I was on kids telly, I used to think there was a secret to these people that had achieved these amazing things. I used to think that you had to know something that I didn't know. And if I didn't know it, I was never going to be the kind of guy to drive a Formula One car to be the CEO of a FTSE 100, to be the team principal of a Formula One team, to be a football manager, whatever it was. So then when I ended up in Formula One, suddenly I was around these world champion Formula One drivers for the first time. I was around these Formula One team principals that were running these huge teams and were focusing intently on marginal gains. I was having lunch with sponsors of Formula One teams who wanted to meet me and David uh, Coulthard and Eddie Jordan and chat to us. And so suddenly having these people there, including Eddie Jordan, who I work with, who obviously ran his own Formula One team, I used to just st- say to them, um, what is the secret to you achieving what you have? And every single time they said, there is no secret. I just believed I could do it. Did, I just believed I could do it. Jay, did you, did you suffer from imposter syndrome at all? I think always. Yeah, I think I always suffer from imposter syndrome. Um, and I think it's probably a good thing. You know, I always feel, you know, I certainly suffer from thinking on crap at what I do. You know, I very, very rarely come up there. You were brilliant. That was a good day today. That's a very rare thing. Imposter syndrome, yes. Um, but, but sort of, if you can create that mindset of positivity, it kind of defeats all of those other things, really. Yeah. And so when I, when I was told there is no secret to this, it's just a case of doing it, I sort of thought long and hard about that and started reading books. And, and it, it took me to a place where I decided life is already going to be hard enough. And I had felt a few kind of mild experiences of that, as we've already discussed. Life is already going to be hard enough. Life is already going to kick you in the balls if it can and drag you down and tell you that you're crap. Because that's what imposter syndrome does. It's that little voice in the back of your head saying you're rubbish, you're never going to be successful. So if all of that is already there, why am I going to kick myself in the balls as well? Why am I going to drag myself down? Now, I might be totally wrong by telling myself, you're going to do well. You're going to make a success of this. This is going to work. Just keep going. Just believe in yourself. I might be wrong, okay? But I'm a hell of a lot closer to making it a success by saying that than I am by saying to myself, oh, you're going to fail at this. I mean, I, I really, really believe that if I tell myself I will, I might. If I tell myself I won't, then I won't. Jay, what, what kind of strategies or, or things do you do um, that, that allow you to get into that frame of mind and that maybe allow you to recover when you haven't had a day that you were completely happy with? What kind of tools do you use to keep that positivity? Because that, that's incredible to have it and it's easy to talk about, isn't it? Yeah. But it is really yeah. difficult to find that on those days yeah. where, where things are tough. Yeah, and I totally get that um, people will listen to this and go, well, bully for you. You can have a shit day and still feel okay about it. That's great. Well, I can't. And I was chatting with my wife about this not long ago because she, she suffers with a, a little bit of anxiety. And I keep on saying to her, like, the thing that I, was a revelation for me when I heard someone say it was that it's just your brain playing a trick. Mm-hmm. Your brain is really bloody powerful. So when we talk about her being a bit anxious, I say, listen, sweetheart, just remember it's your brain. And it's just a trick. So don't fall for the trick. 
but your brain can be really powerful, but you can also learn to ignore it. So even if you've had a bad day, even if you feel like things are going badly, I often think that your reaction to these things is far more important than the things themselves. So let's take it from my perspective and from a teacher's perspective. From a teacher's perspective, having a really bad day in the classroom or finding that you've had an inspection and you haven't hit your targets or one of the teachers that's coming to watch you give a lesson has got loads of feedback for you or you're struggling with a certain difficult trial. Or in my case, you haven't asked the right questions or you've messed up a really crucial moment on air or you've used a statistic wrong or you just haven't nailed it and you've had loads of criticism on social media and you've been trending on Twitter, which is not unheard of. Now, those things have already happened, okay? How, how important are they? Well, they're only as important as you let them be. So if you don't attach too much importance to those difficult days and those perceived failures, then they're actually not that bad at all. So actually, if you take that mindset, it's kind of within your control to not worry too much about these things and to let it go. And the way that I do it now is I like... I like, to, I like to fail. I like to push myself to the limit where it doesn't go well. And you know what? Even if I've messed up and it's not because I've pushed myself to the limit, it's just literally because I've been a bit crap. It's actually quite a healthy mindset to go, yeah, okay. In my life, I expect failure. I know that was on its way. But all I'm going to do is learn from it. So I've failed. I know why I messed up. Like the other day I was on air and I was about to say a fact, right? And you're live on the television. There's loads going on. And I remember my brain working very quick, saying, hold on a minute, I'm not sure that is right. And then another part of my brain went, mm, I think it probably is, so just say it anyway. And I said it, and I was wrong. And I got like hundreds of messages straight away on my social media feed, and I can't believe you just said that. It was like totally the wrong fact. People love to catch you out these days, right? So I got caught out. I was annoyed with myself, but I was annoyed with myself until I said, right, I've learned from that. Next time I'm not sure about something, I'm just not going to say it on live on national television. I'm just going to wait a second. And during an ad break or during a, a period where someone's giving me a long answer or we're on a VT, I'll check it. And once I've checked it and I'm happy, then I'll, then I'll use it. So that's fine. And life can be hard and life can be bloody difficult. But the more you can insulate yourself and the more you can create the the skills needed and it is about learning you know people often will say to me and my wife's one of them she says oh, i'm not built like you i'm not built like that well you, but you can it's learned behavior to be more positive is learned behavior that, I, that idea about the positive self-talk i was reading a book the other day by brené brown she's a fantastic author researcher from the states and she talked about speaking to yourself through self-talk in a way that a compassionate but critical friend might not yeah. somebody who hates you. And I imagine in your seat, you know, you are getting thousands of people that are keyboard warriors that you've never met in your life saying vulgar things. And it could be quite easy for you to get into that negative downward spiral with it, right? Yeah, and I'm not saying I don't. Like, the single biggest cause of stress and unhappiness in my life is social media. Mm. And I do. And That's I, I, sad, isn't it? It is sad. And, and what tell you what is sad about it is, if you let it win, then you get to a point where you don't know how good you could be. Because I think that criticism is the enemy of creativity. So just as you're willing to really push the boundaries on the television, a little voice in the back of your head will go, hold on a minute. Remember the last time everyone had a go at you for that? And what a shame, because it could have been a really great moment. So um, criticism being the enemy of creativity is something that I'm fighting against. And I'm trying to look at all the areas of my life where I'm getting 
criticism that I don't think is warranted. Like there are people, by the way, that I'm more than happy to be criticised by because I respect their opinion. But just general sort of unfounded mud throwing on social media is not healthy for anybody. Mm. So you just have to take it out of your life. So you just don't look at your notifications when you've done a TV show, which is pretty easy to solve, actually. Um, social media, Jake. The, yeah. You've talked about that a lot in, in some of your podcasts. And you talk about never being harder to be ourselves. Is that, I, I picked that up on the last podcast. Can you go into that yeah. a bit more? Yeah, and it, and it comes back, really, to, this, to the same conversation about you know, criticism being the enemy of creativity. It's, not ne it's never been easier for someone to pass an opinion on us. So therefore it has never been easier, uh, never been harder to be ourselves. And, and the number of times that you might feel like posting something and instead of just posting what you feel, you think, well, what's the reaction gonna be to this? What are people gonna think about it? So then you change what you're saying or you water it down or you don't quite do what you were gonna do. And so you're not being yourself and you're not being authentic and that's being entirely driven by outside forces. Which I, think is, which I think is unhealthy and I think it's a shame and I, and I do think it's hard, but it's also difficult to be ourselves because we now spend all of our time comparing our reality to other people's curated clips and 15 second videos and social media posts. So, and I'm as guilty of this as anybody else. If you go on my social media, it basically looks like I spend my time hosting TV programs, playing in the garden with my kids, um, or doing successful ventures like podcasts or investing in businesses or running production companies. Well, there's an awful lot of crap that goes on in my day as well. A lot, you know, with rows with my children or my wife or difficult conversations with people or just generally feeling rubbish or I've got arthritis already in both knees and in one of my shoulders. I'm not, I'm not putting up pictures of me spending ages doing boring leg exercises just so that I can play with the kids without feeling like I'm in pain. But no one shares any of that stuff. So we then end up comparing the reality with this strange curated edited version of other people's lives. And by the way, do not get into that. Don't spend every evening surfing Instagram and then looking at the Daily Mail or whatever, because we all spend a lot of time thinking about what we eat, don't we? And I don't think we spend quite as much time about deciding what diet to give our brains. And it's probably not a bad thing to think, hold on a minute, I'm eating really good food, but am I putting really good stuff into my brain or am I actually almost subconsciously adding, adding to my stress. And my yeah, so, so it's a really good point. What, what's your purpose now then, Jake? You talked earlier about you wanted to be the best. That was your target yeah. when, when you started out. You didn't just want to be another presenter. What gets you out of bed now? What, what's the purpose for what you do? I'm I am absolutely, completely, utterly inspired by trying to help other people feel better about the world around them. And I'm really conscious of sort of coming on this podcast and sounding glib and soundbitey and pithy and hardworking, grafting people with challenges and struggles in front of them, listening to this and thinking, oh, well, it's easy for you because your life's great. But I'm not saying that life will be great for all the people all the time. And I'm not saying life is great for me all of the time. But what I am saying is that in life, you've got two paths that you can choose. And one of them is a path of fault. And the other is a path of responsibility. So when you live your life, you can blame and you can apply fault everywhere. So you can say, well, my life isn't the way I want because of this, or this traumatic and difficult thing happened to me, so therefore this is gonna happen, or I live in this place, therefore I can't go there and do that. And it's so, and it is crap by the way, this. This is not a great thing, right? But it is the reality that there's no point attributing blame, attributing fault because you're just giving up control 
if you can take 100% responsibility for every tiny facet of your life, even the stuff that quite frankly, isn't your fault and it is someone else's responsibility and they're the reason why your life is more difficult or it's a health issue, it's totally out of your hands. The frustrating thing is it's still your responsibility to overcome that and deal with it because it's your life and you can, you can have a more positive mindset. You can achieve what you want. And, and I firmly believe that the more I can shout about, take control, and think positively, then the better. And it, by the way, it's all out there. Like, you can, of course, listen to my podcast, High Performance, but people have lived this. People have done this. People have written books about this. It is all there for you if you want to go and find it. So just get reading and get absorbing. What's been your most challenging period as a leader? Tell us about some of maybe the mistakes that you've made, you've really learned from as you've gone through your career. Yeah, I mean, I think a good, I think a good example, actually, and a really recent example of something being not our fault, but being our responsibility was the recent coronavirus pandemic. So about 10 years ago, I set up a production company called Whisper. And we now, we produce more highlights on terrestrial television than, than any other TV production company in the country. So we do um, the NFL show for the BBC and we do Formula One for Channel 4 and we produce um, sailing programming and we were due this summer to produce the Paralympics for Channel 4. We've got about 80 to 100 staff. We've got offices in London, but all of our income is entirely dependent upon live sport and live events. And three or four months ago, every single live event stopped and it cost our business tens of millions of pounds of income overnight, but we still had people to pay and we still had a business to run. And I think at times like this is when you really get a good measure of what people are like. And again, it wasn't our fault that the coronavirus pandemic happened, but as a business, it was our responsibility to look after our people, but also to make sure there was a business there for them when they returned to work. So to his great credit, the CEO of Whisper, a guy called Sunil Patel, immediately stops taking any salary at all and he passed his salary to some of the lower earners in the business who were going to be impacted by coronavirus i took a pot of my own money and i just sent a personal video message to all members of the of the production saying look not just you but any member of your household if you are suffering with really serious financial hardship because of coronavirus just pick up the phone here's my number and i am happy to do what i can to help you out and because we're part owned by Sony, we spoke with them and they've got a really strong um, mental health facility and we got full access to that. And we made sure that we checked in with the members of our team every single week during the shutdown when we couldn't all be together. And we made sure that those mental health facilities were there for them. And I think that is probably the most recent example of something not being our fault, but being our responsibility and having to deal with a difficult period, but trying to deal with it in the right way. Oh, that's great. And it's nice to hear that, you, like you said, you're taking some responsibility. It isn't your fault, but there's something that you can do and the other people that you work with can do to help and you're willing to do it. Thank you. Um, we're just going to wind it in a little bit now, Jake. Um, very similar to the High Performance Podcast. We have a few quick fire questions towards the end. Um, Lovely. Lovely. What book are you reading at the moment? I've got it here. Well, there's, there's a couple of them, actually. Um, I'm reading the 5am club. Have you read it? No, not read that one. Uh, I've always got a load of books in my bag. Like I said earlier, you've got to read books because it is all there for you. Um, so the 5am club is a really interesting book. I'd recommend anyone to get that. It's about starting your day right and having a successful day by getting off on the right foot. Have you heard of the daily stoic? 
Yeah. Yeah, got that, yeah. I've got the Daily Stoic, and I'll make sure that every morning I read that. And I'm currently reading, um, it's actually a book about a guy I'd love to get on the podcast called Dan Brodsky-Chenfield. And the book is called Above All Else. And he was, uh, he was a skydiver who was involved in a plane crash. And he, he was in a coma for a full month. And when he woke up, he'd been in a plane crash that had killed loads of his friends. 16 people had died. And he went on to still be um, one of the greatest skydivers in the world. So, I mean, it says, you know, world champion skydiver story of survival and what it taught him about fear, adversity and success. So, I mean, it comes back to what I guess has been the overarching theme of the chat we've had, which is fault over responsibility. You certainly can't attribute blame to him for being in a plane crash, but he took the responsibility to take life on after that and make it a success when he was told that he wouldn't be able to by the, by the doctors. He sounds like a great guest to have on the show. That I'll be look forward to listening to that yeah. one. Go for it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, second one from me then is, you'll like this one, is which three leaders in history, dead or alive, would you like to go out for a meal with? That is brilliant. Um, okay. Um, I'd love, I, I am obsessed at the moment with Hamilton the musical. I've seen it a couple of times in London. It's, uh, it's now on Disney Plus if anybody wants to watch it and it is inspiring. There's a, there's, um, it's the story of Alexander Hamilton who was one of the founding fathers and he sings a song um, where he sings about there's a million things I haven't done and I feel like that every single day by the way. Um, I'm very happy but I'm not content <laughs> because I just feel like I've got so much I want to do. So um, I think, but instead of having Alexander Hamilton, because this is about leaders, I think I would, um, I think I'd take George Washington, um, who was at the forefront of the, the Civil War and trying to reestablish America's independence. And he was one of the founding fathers and he was their president. So I would, uh, I would take George Washington. Um, I would also, I'm trying to think of different, different leaders, because I'm sure lots of people have a similar answer to this one. Um, a much more recent example, I would take Jurgen Klopp because I think he is a leader who, through sheer force of will, has cultivated an amazing football club around him. And what's incredible about that is that Liverpool have such a strong identity. Like they are such a remarkable football club, and I have such respect for them. They've got a set of fans, and there aren't that many of them who have a real understanding of what it means to be a Liverpool fan and their responsibility to that football club. Yet, despite, despite the fact that he's gone to a football club with such a clear um, personality of its own, he's still been able to inject the Jurgen Kloppness into that place. And I think he's almost single-handedly with his personality, with his drive and with his single-minded attention to perfection, he's managed to take that club to their first league title in 30 years. So I would have George Washington, I would have Jurgen Klopp, and I would have Ben Ainsley. Um, ben Ainsley is someone who I've got so much time for. If people aren't aware of it, take a look at the story of when he entered the America's Cup um, as a sort of late replacement skipper on a boat. And the only way that he was going to win the America's Cup for the team that he'd been brought onto the boat for was by winning every single remaining race, which he then did. Um, and what I love about Ben is that he did it individually in the Olympics as a sailor. Um, but then also did it in a team in a team event like the America's Cup as well, and I think that is so impressive to be able to get yourself into a place of great success is one thing, but to drag other people there with you is very very impressive. 
Wow, yeah, very different context when you've been so self-dependent and, and then obviously you're depending on others and, and the collaboration there. Um, two, two quick ones from me. Uh, the penultimate one uh, for you, Jake, is, is tell us something you're trying to improve at the minute. What are you really working on getting better at? Oh, everything. I always, <laughs> maybe I've said it before, learning is lifelong. Like, learning is lifelong. Um, and so I'm constantly trying to improve at, at everything I do, really. I think, um, I, think it's an I think I'm probably in that eternal um, challenge of just trusting myself a little bit more. Like, you know, I talk a lot about positive mindset and things, but it doesn't mean that I am 100% positive all the time because I'm not sure that is, a possi is possible. Like, I remember when I was younger, I used to be anxious. Like, if I'd have been for a night out, I'd be anxious the next day about what had happened. Or even if, I'm not saying I went out and got drunk and didn't remember anything, but I'm, I'm still, like, I used to wake up feeling anxious. Like, what And I get that now, you know. I, I know that I have the ability to blow things out of all proportion. And think, oh, this is going to be the end of everything. That's going to cost me everything. I can't believe that's happened. And in reality, my wife goes, "Why? What are you? What are you talking about? Do you, you understand that that's just a minor thing that's slightly gone wrong?" And I'm like, "Okay, fine." And I'm, I think knowing yourself is really important. So because I now know myself, I actually don't. Well, I, I panic a bit, and then I go, "Hold on, hold on." You know yourself. You know what you like. You know you panic like this. So just accept it. And, and I had a sort of slight mental health struggle when I was about 20, 21, when I was on Children's BBC. And I think I was just was a bit overawed by moving to London, suddenly being on my own, away from my family and stuff. But that all melted away when I kind of decided that if I was ever going to have doubts or slight anxiety issues, I was just going to totally accept them. And if there are people listening to this who do suffer a bit with anxiety, I find it such a powerful tool to go, do you know what? You're a little bit of anxiety. You're only a trick. I'm not going to fall for it. But you know what? I'm also not going to fight it. I'm going to just accept that there's a little 5% in my brain where you're going to sit and you're going to chat. And that is absolutely fine. I'm going to let you be there. And I'm still, still working on that, I guess. I love that idea of, like you said, it's your brain giving you these messages. And you, you can see it and you're acknowledging it, but not engaging with those feelings. You know, you, you're accepting that there doesn't have to be a response from you there. It, it and also... Eating less crisps as well. That is an eternal challenge. <laughs> oh, my. <laughs> That's a larger percent of your brain. Too. But the problem. <laughs> Last one from us, Jake. Um, we, we call our pod the Infinite, Learner, uh, Infinite Leaders Live. And, and our, our collective mission is to, to try and improve um, education, to, to improve people as human beings. And, and we use that phrase, infinite learning. What does infinite learning mean to you? I think to me, infinite learning in many ways is everything because I think every person in every facet of their life is learning infinitely. But I think what's really important for you guys um, and the people that you speak to and the teaching community is that you're, you are the ones that are going to equip the young people with the ability to be infinite learners. Because I think if you get too hit too hard or told too often that you're not going to be great and you're not going to be successful and that no one in your area amounts to anything and if you've got young people that aren't feeling and experiencing love and support and care and roots and wings often enough i don't think that you'll have the ability to be an infinite learner you're not born no one is born an infinite learner but you can learn it and all being an infinite learner in my mind means is just being positive and kind to yourself so brilliant message 
love that and and, and thank you for uh, being patient with us to, as I, I, we, we said off air at the beginning to be a teacher that tries to present to teachers is sometimes very daunting to to certainly not be a presenter that's presented to such a successful but very humble presenter you know thanks very much for your support jake and, and it's been great to chat to you i really really enjoyed it it's my yeah. pleasure and let me just say lewis now and I, you know i think what you're doing and the way you're doing it is is remarkable and i think coming from a family of teachers i already knew how important and crucial young teachers are and having two young kids reinforced it and then homeschooling for a while as well, double reinforced it. So well done and thanks to you and thanks to every teacher out there for the, for the graph that you're putting in on behalf of young people that are not yours, but will forever be indebted to you. Thank you, Jake, very kind. That is very kind of you, Jake, thanks very much. Guys, please search us on IGTV, uh, podcast platforms and YouTube. Um, also the infinitelearners.com you'll find Alan and I on Twitter as well and we'll see you all next time Jake again thank you very much for being generous with your time for being so incredibly articulate in getting your views and your your opinions across I've loved every minute of that so massive thanks thanks Jake cheers guys bye bye